is in the New Testament, it's the letter of whoever to the Hebrews. Nobody knows for certain who it was. But it's Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to begin at verse 23. Remember the whole theme of Hebrews is how Jesus is better than. Jesus is better than the angels, he has a name better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the kings of Israel. Jesus is better than the priests. And he gives a covenant that is a better covenant. And so to go anywhere else is to go in really not better places, if you know what I mean, right? And so here's one of the moments where he's talking specifically about Jesus' better priesthood, and part of it is based upon the fact that Christ is risen from the dead, body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair, risen from the dead, no longer subject to misery or mortality. So Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And now we turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and 30, and it's page 380 in that blue Bible, and I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open there so you can follow along. So Ahaz has gone from the scene, that was chapter 28, and now is Ahaz's son Hezekiah, and Hezekiah becomes king, he began to reign. Verse 2 gives you the synopsis of Hezekiah's reign. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord... Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the English translators reminding you that underneath this in the Hebrew is God's personal name. This is not Baal, this is not Marduk, this is not Ishtar, this is not any other God. This is Yahweh he's talking about. He did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh according to all that David his father had done. And in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord of Yahweh, and repaired them. And then he calls the priests together. And he says, we have messed up for over 16 years. Our daddy Ahaz and your daddy closed the temple because he hated God and they hated God. Let's open the doors and let's clean house and let's come back home. And so that's really what he's basically saying as you work through what he has to say. And so verse 10, Now it is in my heart to make covenant with Yahweh, with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent, for Yahweh, the Lord, has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be ministers, to be his ministers and to make offerings to him. And so then as a list of all of the priests and Levites, the leaders who actually led the people to cleanse the temple, and it took them 16 days to clean the temple in the first month. And so then the temple is cleansed, verse 20, then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city, and he went up to the house of the Lord of Yahweh. And they go in, they begin worshiping as God has prescribed the way to do it. And so verse 25, he stations the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and harps and lyres according to the commandment of God, of David and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet for the commandment was from the Lord and through his prophets they offer sacrifices, they sing God's praises. Verse 30, and Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord, to Yahweh with the words of David and Asaph 
of Asaph the seer, and they sang praises with gladness. And they bowed down and they worshipped. And so as a summary of it all, it's down in verse 26, or 35, the end of verse 35 and 36, this, thus the service of the house of Yahweh of the Lord was restored. And Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people for the thing came about suddenly. All of this happened in the very first month of the year. And so immediately after that comes chapter 30. Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh, that northern realm of God's kingdom that had cut itself off from the southern realm long ago. And so they invite them that they should come to the house of the Lord, at, Yah- at the house of Yahweh at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to Yahweh, to the Lord, to the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. There's two actual times you can keep the Passover. In the first month on the 14th and 15th, 14th day for seven days, or in case of emergencies on the second month. Notice that Hezekiah is listening to the word of the Lord. Because they had not kept, verse 5, they had not kept the Passover as often as prescribed. And so Hezekiah sends couriers with a gospel message throughout all the realm up north and down south. And that gospel message is laid out when you get into the letter itself. O people of Israel, return to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that He may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to, to the Lord, to Yahweh, God of their fathers, so that He may made them a desolation as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord, to Yahweh, and come to His sanctuary, which He has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord, serve Yahweh your God, that His fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you turn to, to Yahweh, to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and turn to this Return to this land, for the Lord Yahweh your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away His face from you if you return to Him. So the couriers go out with this gospel message up north in that progressive theologically, morally, socially, politically, progressive and liberal realm of God's kingdom up north, and they read this gospel good news proclamation. Some of those who heard it up there, laughed them to scorn and mocked them. However, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also upon Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of Yahweh. And so come all of these mixed people, those who had long ago rejected God and turned their backs to Him centuries before, and their great-great-great-great-grandchildren now hear the gospel, and some of them come back, and those in the southern realm all begin to gather for the second month, the alternative keeping of the Passover feast. And they do it according to the law of, of Moses, the man of God, but not everything is all hunky-dory. Verse 17, there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves, therefore the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to to Yahweh for a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim and Asisachar and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. 
for Hezekiah, the king. Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Yahweh, the good Lord, pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, Yahweh, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And Yahweh, the Lord, heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And it was a great celebration that went beyond the seven prescribed days. They were so excited about worshiping the Lord. They said, hey, let's do another seven days. And they did seven more days. It was a delightful time. Lots of rejoicing. There was great joy. Last line, their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. My friends, what I've read to you from Hebrews 7 and what I've read and summarized to you from 2 Chronicles 29 and 30, it is the encouraging word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Bring us, O oh Lord, your grace of reformation revival. A reformation revival that draws us to you that draws in your wayward people and knits us together with one heart. Amen. You may be seated. The sermon notes are on the back of the worship guide. There's questions there for your care groups. To kind of catch you up to speed, if you don't remember or if you weren't here last week, here's what's happened. Ahaz, Daddy Ahaz, does not love the Lord. That's chapter 28. And so Ahaz has shut down everything. He is brought into God's church all kinds of coexist spiritual multiculturalism, all kinds of competitors to Yahweh. And so he's even shut the temple down. He will not have this God talk to him. He will not have this God lead him. He will not have this God tell him what to do. So he shuts even the temple down. And all of Judah is on board. Remember, they got the government that reflected the gods they worshipped. They were all on board with this. Sixteen years. And then Ahaz dies. And then you come to Hezekiah. So that should catch you up to speed. And you will notice immediately that chapter 29, Hezekiah goes big. There's the first point. He goes big. As Hezekiah ascends the throne, here's your fill-in-the-blank answer for one of your questions. As Hezekiah ascends the throne, you quickly have a surprise. Ungodly Ahaz sires godly Hezekiah. Ungodly Ahaz sires godly Hezekiah. That should be encouraging to somebody here. It's gone the other way as well, where godly fathers end up having adult children who have rejected the faith I want you to remember this. If you don't hear anything else, remember this. Raising your kids, the outcome is not automatic. It is not mechanical. You can do all the right things and they can still flip you off and reject the faith. And there's good news. You can do all the wrong things and in spite of yourself, they end up on the right side. I don't know about you, but that is comforting. Here's ungodly Ahaz who sires godly Hezekiah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord of Yahweh according to all that David his father had done. And the first immediate thing that Hezekiah does is he works on opening up the temple that his daddy had shut. So verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of Yahweh and repaired them. 
And so then he rallies the Levites and he rallies the priests, pointing out that his daddy and their daddies had all been in cahoots. Notice as you read through what he says to them in chapter 29, down about verse Verse uh, 6, he says, For our fathers have been unfaithful. And he says it a couple of times. Our fathers. He reminds them, My dad Ahaz and your daddies were all in cahoots with that faithlessness that brought us into this deplorable condition, that brought us into this moral, monetary, and manpower failure that we're struggling with. There's no one else to blame. It is our faults. So then Hezekiah says, but I have a new policy, verse 10. It's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, with Yahweh, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away. And you, my sons, it's a very intimate language he's calling the priests and Levites, you, my sons, do not be negligent. And so the leaders, all mentioned by name, which is really peculiar, that doesn't happen very often in the Scripture where the leadership is actually mentioned by name, is leading the way. These leaders are mentioned by name and they direct the purifying of the temple in the first month. Verses 12 through 19. It takes them eight days to clean out all of the garbage and the trash that had accumulated in the temple for those 16 years. It took them eight days to clean it all out and work their way all the way into the temple. Then it took them eight more days to get the temple prepared. Does anybody ever see? This always breaks my heart. Anybody ever seen those pictures of old church buildings that have been deserted for decades? Right? And it just breaks my heart. You, the, the photographer walks into what should have been the sanctuary, and what you see is you see maybe Aryan graffiti or some other graffiti on the walls. You see uh, um, used sexual implements on that side over there on the floor because there's no pews left because they've been used to burn fires in this old building. And you see over there the old cocaine and, 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 and uh, other things that have been used and discarded over there. The, the table is all desecrated, broken down and fallen over. There's not even a pulpit. It was used for fire. And it just looks horrible. And then uh, holes in all the walls and so forth. That's what, that's what they would have found when they walked into the temple because Ahaz hated God and so did God's people. They closed the doors. So it takes eight days for them to come through and get it all cleaned up and then get it all prepared. And that's what happens. And so then, as soon as that's done, once the temple then is prepared, it's still the first month. Once it is prepared, Hezekiah then leads the way back to the Lord. Verse 20, Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and he went up to the house of the Lord. And notice that everything that happens from this point on that unfolds is all choreographed by God's directions. Verses 20 through 24 is all of the sacrifices. It's following all of the procedures God had laid out back in Exodus and Leviticus and some of it in Numbers, doing exactly what God had said. Here's my direction. This is how you do the sacrifices. Even the singing, the music, verses 25 through 27, was done according to the commandment that was from Yahweh through His prophets. Oddly enough, even the words of the songs were filled with Scripture. And so in verse 28 through 30, it says, they sang praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And those of you who are great Bible readers and good Bible readers who've been walking through the Psalms with me, you go, oh wait, I know what that's all about. 
because David is mentioned as the author of most of the Psalms, and Asaph is mentioned as the author of so many of them. Oh, they were even singing God's Word. It's all choreographed according to God's directions. Then comes the summary statement of the whole event up to this point. It's down there in verse 35 and 36. When it says, Thus the service of the house of the Lord, of Yahweh, was restored, and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people. Now just stop a moment. What did God provide? Well, He provided the way to... He provided the way in, as it were. He, gave, he provided, of course, all the material for the sacrifices and everything. You can always say that. But there's something different here. God provided, because what have they been doing for 16 years? They didn't have any want to, because they didn't want Him. God provided their want to and their wanting Him, so that then He provided the way in. Let me say it again, because it really sounds cool. But it really is meaningful. He provided the want to. Now they want to serve the Lord. He provided the want Him. Now they really want the Lord. And He provided the way in. That's how God does it. So He provided. For the thing came about suddenly. That's pretty phenomenal. This whole chapter, my friends, all of chapter 29 gives you a taste of what Reformation revival look and smell and sound like, whether it is personal revival and Reformation, or it's revival and Reformation in your family, or your church, or your denomination of Christ's church, or the larger church. Real, genuine, God-caused revival and Reformation is shaped by God's health-giving prescription. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. And I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. God caused revival and reformation. Genuine revival and reformation is shaped by God's health-giving prescription. Thus, it is choreographed by the Lord's directions. Here's how we approach Him. He lays it out. Here's how you draw near to me. As I've used illustrations before, I know better than to walk up to my wife to try to draw near to her and hand her a shotgun and say, here, baby, I love you with all my heart. She might use it on me, but she could care less about a shotgun. But I know if I go wash dishes, it's all love, baby. Right? The Lord says, here's how to draw near to me. It's choreographed by the Lord's directions. And then notice that genuine revival is filled, filled with gladness, with gladness in singing and gladness in worship. You see it back when you look at verse 28, when it says in verse 28, um, the whole assembly worshipped, the singers sang, and the West Martins of the world sounded their trumpets. There you go. That was a West plug. And they played the trumpets. And then at the end of verse 30, they sang praises with gladness. And their bodies were involved. They bowed down and they worshipped. And then again in verse 36, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced. It's all choreographed by God's directions and it's all filled with gladness and singing and worship. And finally notice 
God's gracious and providential care are openly acknowledged, verse 36. And so Hezekiah goes big, and he leads from the front and reclaims the temple, revives the people's desire for God, reforms the people's directions, and returns the people to God's help-giving prescription. And the people are ready. The people are now rejoicing. Unlike their parents and grandparents, who turned their backs and not their faces to the Lord. Here now are the children and the grandchildren. They have experienced life at rock bottom, and they now turn around. To put it in an old Alcoholics Anonymous phrase, they got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they acknowledge their faithlessness and they return to the God whose steadfast love endures forever. So Hezekiah and the people go big, and yet it gets bigger. Chapter 30. It gets bigger. Notice that Hezekiah is not content to hoard this magic moment for just himself and his little bitty church. Hezekiah reaches out to the stragglers and to the decimated peoples of that theologically, politically, socially, morally progressive and liberal segment of God's kingdom. That's verses 1-9. through These are a whole band of people who had long ago left the ways of God. Now you go, why would he do that? Well, maybe it has to do with what we read last week in chapter 28, verses 8-15. through How these Samaritans, anybody remember the story and how it seems to go along with the Jesus story of the Good Samaritan? These Samaritans listened and actually heard when nobody else was listening. They listened to the word of the Lord through the prophet Oded. And they took these these beaten and robbed people and they clothed them and they anointed them and they set the most feeble upon their donkeys and they took them back to Jericho. Maybe it was that moment Hezekiah was looking back at it and going, you know, there might be hope for them, them northerners, or whatever. Maybe it was that. But whatever the reason, he recognizes that these turncoats are still God's people in some way, even if it is in name only. And he recognized that God is on the move And so, he invites them by sending out gospel preachers, couriers. It says couriers twice. But they go and tell a good news message. I just want you to know, that's all Pastor Wes and I are, are just couriers. We ain't got nothing to say if it's not the message of the King. And they go out and they tell them, look, there's hope. Yield yourselves to Yahweh. Come to His sanctuary, and he, for he, which He has consecrated forever, and serve Yahweh your God. For if you return, Yahweh your God is gracious and merciful. He will not turn away from you if you return to Him. Good news. And they go out, these gospel preachers, these couriers, go out proclaiming the good news of the King's message. And unsurprisingly, Many of those folks up north, up there, laugh the preachers to scorn and to mock. But deeply surprising 
Verse 11, some men of Asher, of Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. They heard the good news. They heard the gospel message. They embrace it, and they come in. My friends, verse 12, if you recall that the divisions and fragmentation amongst God's people is God's judgment. If you remember that, then you realize something really beautiful is just happening in verse 12. Unity is God's grace. Unity amongst His people is God's gift. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them how many hearts? One heart. I'm sorry, five of you are listening. Great! <laughs> Gave them one heart to do what the king and princes commanded by the word of Yahweh. They were united together. And what was it they were united to do? To do what God had commanded. And what was God commanding? That these northerners, these liberal, progressive, theologically, politically, socially, moral progressives come to Jesus, so to speak. And there they were. Come on in! They had a united mind to welcome in around the Passover table. Somebody needs to be picking up what I'm putting down here. Around the meal of bread and wine that celebrates the Passover lamb under whose blood we find ourselves liberated. With one mind, they welcomed them in and worshipped with them. So the return comes at the time of Passover, but notice it's God's alternative Passover date. Verse 2, the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. The temple was busy being cleaned and consecrated in the first month when they should have kept Passover. But it, the cleansing took too long to do it right, and so now they go back to Scripture, still being choreographed by God's directions, and they say, oh, the Lord has allowed an alternative date for Passover. Notice that Hezekiah is still submitting to God's directions. He didn't make it up on his own. Which, remember, is a part, a crucial part, of God-caused revival and reformation. So back in Numbers 9, verse 10 and 11, is where you will find the second date of Passover that's permissible is being laid out there and what it's for. And so the revival reformation is happening and now all these people are starting to come, but my friends, sometimes reformation revival can get just downright messy. So verse 17 and 18, for there were many of the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. They hadn't been to church since their great, 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 great granddaddy. They hadn't consecrated themselves. They didn't know what to wear. They didn't know how to clean up. They didn't know what, you know, they didn't know anything. They hadn't consecrated themselves. For the majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves. They want this God. God gave them some want to and want Him, and He makes the way in. They want this God, and it gets messy. They ate the Passover, verse 18, otherwise than as prescribed. But notice that in this messiness, notice what Hezekiah's response is. Hezekiah doesn't sneer at them. He doesn't run them off. He doesn't send eyeball daggers at them. 
He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't, he doesn't chew them out. Instead, what does he do? The king, the king of Israel, acts like a good priest. The king of Israel acts like a good priest. And he intercedes on their behalf. Verse 18 and 19, or 18 through 20, Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, Yahweh, the God of his fathers even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And Yahweh heard Hezekiah and healed the people. Notice the messiness happened, but it was only temporary. It was only meant to be temporary. It was only allowed to be temporary. But the messiness came about because God and His Messiah, the anointed one of Israel, the kings were anointed, the priests were anointed, right? God and His Messiah were doing what? They were drawing in God's wayward people into His way of wellness, His presence. God and His Messiah were drawing in God's wayward people into His way of wellness, into His presence. And it got a little messy. Temporary. My friends, Reformation, Revival continued to get bigger, and it got a little bit messier. And one example is the fact that they went beyond the prescribed number of days, verse 23. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is only supposed to be seven days. They didn't cut it off. They didn't go less than. What did they do? They expanded it to a second seven days. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. God seems to be quite happy with them adding days to his prescribed days. Unfortunately, in our tradition, in the past, some of our ancestors, in complete response and a reaction to certain other people, refuse any extra days to worship the Lord. Only 52 days of obligation, and that's it. But if you follow God's leading in Second Chronicles, you realize, well, yeah, 52 days and whatever else we want to do to worship the Lord. So Christmas Eve, Good Friday, oh, pastor, can't do those days because it means I have to worship the, day, the Lord one more day than I should. No, we should. It's biblical. You get it? I'm not making it up. It's right here. It's biblical. It's exactly what they did. And it was all full of gladness and full of great joy. Verse 21, verse 30, 23, verse 26. Lots of joy. My friends, genuine Reformation revival will take the risk to go big and sometimes get, it gets bigger. Three things, four things. Maybe five, I don't know. First off, Reformation revival that is God's doing is choreographed by God's directions. And that's the border that keeps us inside of God's parameters. That's the border that keeps us inside that shows that this is God-created Reformation revival. And I think that's important to remember. Right? Not anything goes. Right? It's choreographed by God's directions. Sometimes... Though, with genuine revival and reformation, things do get a bit messy, and there may surface some temporary exceptions to the rule, so to speak. But some of those, and some of those temporary exceptions to the rule are, they're just plain messy. They just get messy. 
And it calls for God's people to show gracious, a patient grace. It calls upon God's people to show a patient grace. Let me do it on the one hand and on the other. Unfortunately, in regard to God's directions, humans love to make the temporary exceptions the rule and to throw out God's directions as they are given. Now, this was my experience. That's all that matters. Don't be be legalistic. Don't tell me what God says. This was my experience. That's allowing an exception to become the rule. You get what I'm saying? Somebody? Yeah? Okay, good. Thank you. But equally unfortunate, on the other hand, God's people can be very sanctimonious and smug and can sometimes shut the doors to those whom our God and Messiah are bringing in. Let us welcome those whom Jesus, our greater King, is welcoming. And let us patiently and graciously draw them into God's ways, God, the ways God has prescribed. Secondly, my friends, with real revival and reformation, we should hope to see, we should hope to see God on the move. We should hope to see God moving and among and drawing in the theologically, morally, politically, socially progressive Christians. That's the story of chapter 29 and 30. That's exactly what God did, and we should hope for it. And it's the same message there as it would be anywhere else. The Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away His face from you if you return to Him. And what we should long for and pray for and anticipate and maybe work for is for that moment to happen. God can do it. No amount of rainbow flags is going to keep God out. You get it what I'm saying? No amount of theological proclamations about tolerance are going to keep God away. Hallelujah! We should expect it. We should long for it. We should anticipate it. Thirdly, Hezekiah is truly a model. He is a template of the greater son of David. The greater son of David who did things like inviting the unwashed to come gather with him around a table. Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him. And he, and the table that is the table that celebrates the Passover. It celebrates the feast of liberation where the Lamb of God takes, who has taken away the sin of the world, has set the captive free. Hezekiah is a, truly a model. He's a template of the greater son of David. He's a template of the greater son of David who is also not only a king, but he is also acting like here in chapter 30, like a high priest. Oh, yeah. The Lord's anointed praying for His people. Hmm, That sounds oddly familiar. Our New Testament reading in Hebrews 7, or think about the assurance of pardon. Who shall bring any charge against God's elected as God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. 
And so where do we where do we want to go? Where do we want to run to? Him, the greater son of David, who welcomes the likes of us at his table and intercedes for us, and as the writer of Hebrews says, will save us to the uttermost. Those who come to him, come to God through him. If you have never put your confidence in Jesus, what is stopping you? Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Oh, may it be this very day. Lastly, my friends, and if you read my letter this week, you knew it was coming. Always pray. That old prayer, I hear it actually is a Chinese prayer from even before the days of Chiang Kai-shek when he was being run out by Mao Zedong. It's this. Lord, revive your church beginning with me. Lord, revive your church beginning with me. Let's pray. And Lord, that is our prayer. Revive your church beginning with me. And we all say it. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the greater son of David, who invites and brings in all kinds of people around the table and draws us in. And shows grace and mercy and is delighted to see us come in. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So Lord, as we prepare to move towards a baptism and towards the Lord's Supper, I pray, Lord, that Your Gospel hope would draw us all closer to You. In Your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.